0: Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus is explaining what it is that followers of Jesus need to be, need to believe, need to understand, and he's kind of doing it as a uh, comparison and a contrasting with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very much into self-honor. They felt it was a very good day. If as they went down the street, people would bow to them, people would give them money, people would throw praises at them, if they got the adulation, if they got the honor and the glory from the people of the town, the Pharisee would consider that a good day because they felt they were worthy of that, and if they did not get that, they would believe something is wrong with the town because they believed they were worthy of honor from those that lived near them. And so in 17, Jesus is talking about uh, how we need to, how the apostles need to be following Jesus, not following the teachings of the Pharisees. And so in verses... uh, one through four, he is talking about temptation and me causing temptation, you causing temptation. Those are called stumbling blocks in the Bible. That if you, through your actions, if you, through your teaching, if me, through my actions and my teaching, cause somebody to sin because they think they're doing right, then I become blamed for that. I am accountable for that. Then he talks about uh, faith. Jesus, They asked them, increase our faith. And Jesus says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, throw yourself into the sea. Just one little comment. Uh, that's never happened. Okay. There's another passage where Jesus said, you can say to this mountain, go into the sea and the mountain will throw itself into the sea. There's no record Over the last 2,000 years of that ever happening, so either I think we have bad faith, I think that we don't have faith enough. If you want to see mighty works like this, some people say, well, it's not a real mulberry tree. It's symbolic of the obstacles in our life, Eh, but I think it's a real mulberry tree. But this is not a sermon about faith or that type of faith. This is a sermon about the parable of the unworthy servant, and the way that this parable works is that Jesus is talking about a standard setup that they had back then. Today, we have the very rich would have servants. We have TV shows like Dalton Abbey and Upstairs, Downstairs, and Things that are of the 40s and the 50s, and even before that, uh, in England, where you had a servant class, and you had an aristocrat class, and if the aristocrat comes in from riding their horse, they don't say to the servant, come and eat with me, or I will fix you food. No, the way it works is the aristocrat, the owner of the house, would sit down and expect food to be made and food to be served. After all of the served, then the servant class would then get to eat somewhere in a downstairs area, hence the title of the show, Upstairs, Downstairs. In this passage, the word for servant is actually doulus, D-O-U-S and this is a when we think of servant, we think it's kind of like a job, that if I am a servant in a house, I can quit. If I do not like my master, I can quit, and I can go to another house, I can go somewhere else, I can do something else, I can work at McDonald's if I don't want to be a servant in a house, but loss is more of a... Um, The ESV and the NIV will not use this word. King James uses this word. ASV uses this word. And that word is slave. It is a non-choice. It is a non-alterable situation. That when we are bought by Christ, and the way the Bible talks about it is we are bought by the blood of Christ. And if you can look at 1 Corinthians six. 20, it says, Do you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And the teaching of the New Testament is when Christ saved you, he paid a price for you. When we use the word redeemed, I am redeemed, that means a price was paid. That means I was bought back from some situation, my sinful situation. And so the idea here is that the person who is serving the master of the house cannot get out of it. Just like as Christians, we cannot get out of, and we wouldn't want to get out of being servants for God. And so in this passage, God is the master of the house, and we are to serve Him. And just like at the end of the passage... Jesus says, the master of the house does not say thank you. The master of the house is not grateful for the work of the servant. The servant is only doing what they pay are paid for. And in the same way, we shouldn't expect God to say thank you. And we shall look at that in a little bit. Now, slavery was a little different back 2,000 years ago when the Romans managed slavery than American slavery. Back when the Romans managed slavery, you would become a slave if you had debt. If you had so much debt, today we declare bankruptcy. And we're Back then, if you had so much debt, you couldn't get out from under it, you would sell yourself into slavery. And instead of getting wages, the wages you earned would go to pay your debt. And then when your debt was paid, you would be released from slavery. There's a movie that you can watch called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, starring Zero Zero Mostel. And he, the whole point of the movie, not to spoil it or anything, but the whole point of the movie is that he is a slave. And he is trying to earn enough money to buy his freedom, to pay the debt, put him in slavery, and then all the merry madcap adventures that happen as he's trying to do this. And it is a very funny movie. It's a very old movie. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum. It's a very accurate representation of Roman slavery. So if you had somebody who was rich, who was willing to take on your debt, and you sold yourself into slavery to them... There were, in Jesus' day, very rich people who had personal doctors who were slaves, who had personal counselors who were slaves, personal gardeners or tailors or cooks that worked for the rich person, but they were slaves because they got into a financial situation And they sold themselves into servitude. And so if you had a personal doctor, you might actually even send them to more school so that they could be a better doctor, but they still would be a slave in your household. And so this is what this is talking about when it talks about slavery. But in the same way, these people, even if you had... A doctor, even if you had an architect working for you who was there was a debt to be paid. And when Paul, in the letters to the Corinthians, calls himself a bond servant, a bond servant is somebody who has sold themselves into slavery to get a debt paid. And so when we look at what Christ has done, when we At Christ's redeeming work, when we look at Christ's buying us, there is an inequality, there is a debt. I didn't do anything to be repent and believe. And when I believe, Christ does all the heavy lifting, He died, His blood is applied to my sin, and I In Paul's reasoning, in the reasoning of the new covenant, now owe Christ everything. It is impossible to pay it. It is impossible to pay it back even a little bit. But I owe Christ everything. I am his bondservant. I am his slave. Now if you read through the rest of the New Testament, there is clearly an adoption We are adopted by Christ. So we are also family. We are also called God's friend. God calls us friend. So it isn't a he hates us and puts us under his thumb sort of servitude. It is a servitude where the master loves the slave, where the master loves the servant and we love God in return. And so... Modern Christianity has a tendency to say that if you serve God, if you do things for God, God will shower you with goodness as a response to the good things you do, and this passage clearly says that God is under no obligation to say thank you for our basic Service. So, what is our basic service? Well, we talked about it last week. There are four foundational activities that citizens of the kingdom of God will partake in, not to gain anything, not to manipulate God, not to cause God to appreciate us. And they are church attendance. Bible study and Bible reading, prayer and evangelism and sharing, those are foundational. The rest of the Christian life grows out of that. And so if this is our duty, and it says right there in verse 10 that these things are our duty, how do we manage this in today's Busy, busy, busy life. And I have, I've been working on this question since it is. I got out of the Air Force in April of 85. I got back in the lower 48 in June of 85. And very quickly got hired into tech companies. And the understanding how life works... If you're in the military, you know exactly what you're doing the next five minutes, the next five years if you stay there. They are very clear at presenting what you want, what you need to do and if you don't know, there's always a bunch of people above you to tell you exactly what you're going to do. So I got out and I have civilian employment and the The difficulty of the freedom to work how I wished to work and work on projects that I negotiate with my boss and do things like that was strange, okay? It was difficult, and so I got into very early in getting out of the military, I got into... uh, time management, project management, and task management. And in the 1990s, when I began studying in seminary and things like this to prepare to be a pastor, there were a series of articles based on this 7 through 10. And the point was that if you take this literally, if you take this as this is a Foundational understanding of our relationship to God is that we are saved for service, we are saved for serving God and being servants of God. Then these articles said it's almost like, and he was posted, that the end becomes your job, and you say, well, I've already got a job. Okay, then it's your second job. You say, I've already got two jobs. Then it's your third job. It is, you treat it like a job. And what I mean by you treat it like a job is that if you worked at Starbucks and you were hired and you never showed up for work, or when you showed up, you put orange juice in all the drinks, or you did something you wanted instead of following the parameters of how to make a coffee drink, the Starbucks gives you out of the Starbucks manual, I suppose. And if you do not do that, Starbucks would fire you. Starbucks would say, you need another job doing something else. Now, God is not going to fire you. God cannot fire you. God has sent his son to die for your sin Christ's blood has already been applied to your account. It cannot be unapplied. You are already adopted into the family of God. You cannot be unadopted. If you are truly saved, you are, as the Baptists say, always saved. And you cannot get kicked out. So it is not that type of job where you're in fear of losing it. But it is a kind of job where there are desires of God to you to live a certain way, desires of God for you to spend your time a certain way, and so looking at this, what I decided to do, and I've been working on since 1990, so 2000, 2010, 2000. on this for 30 years and I still don't have it 100% down so it's not like you're going to go oh I'll figure it out and I'll do it but what I'm trying to figure out is how can I treat Christianity as an actual job that Jesus has sent me into this world as his representative, as his hands and as his feet, and all the stuff we talk about, what Christianity is, how can I take that seriously and do things for God the way that he wants when there is so much pull on my time? Now you may say, ah, but you're a pastor. You're paid to be a Christian. I've heard that before. But since probably November of 19 so of 2019 probably this job has been 90% administration and not spiritual to go and spend lock myself in my office And pray all day. But as you've noticed, if you've gone down the hall, my office has moved because my old office got flooded. So it's thing after thing after thing after thing, event after event after event after event that is sucking up all of my time. And some people have said, well, it's a satanic attack. Other people have said, well, it's God growing your faith. Whatever it is, it is just life. Whatever it is that is happening, it is difficult to find time. I could easily come here on a Monday morning and work on all the administration of the church until seven o'clock at night and never crack my Bible, never read a devotional never pray through the events of the week or the day, I could, could, there is enough for me to do to not do anything spiritual. Okay? That is actually one of the, if you want a prayer request for your pastor, it is that. It is that I would be doing all of this for God, is that I would be doing all of this as a spiritual pursuit and not as a administration pursuit. And so I have asked myself, so if this is supposed to be a job, if I am truly employed by God as his servant, as his slave, as his bond servant, how then would I spend my time? And I have made lists. I have talked before about how I live off of lists. You give know what to do. I have made lists of things that if I am truly in the employ of God, what I need to do. And on that list are Bible reading, Bible study, prayer, and what to pray. There is evangelism thoughts and how to share, and I meditate on that. And then, of course, church attendance and church involvement, which is kind of built into the system. Today, if you go to a some churches that are into the health and prosperity, they will say, if you have enough faith or something for God, He will respond by giving you health or wealth or exactly what you want. He will give you gifts because you are a follower of But if we read this and we read the rest of the New Testament, if we take Christ's work on seriously, what else does God owe us? What else do we deserve? And the answer is nothing. In fact, we deserve Christ. We are so rebellious in how we treat God. And so the idea of getting something from God doesn't fit with the new covenant. But the idea that God has spent all this on us, given us all these things, saved us not because of any great thing He saw in me, but because of His great love for me, because he loves, not because I'm lovable, okay? We are saved, and our response while we are on this earth is to live up to that, is to pay him back, which we never can, and I think we pay him back by having the job of being a Christian. It would be interesting when you are wherever, grocery store, whatever, they may ask, ask you, what do you do? And you say, well, I'm an admin, I'm a nurse, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a homemaker, I, and you, you give out what you do. But if they ask, what do you do? And you say, I'm a servant of God. Or I'm a Christian. Say whatever you want, but to put that as your primary employment, And everything else that you have is just there to pay the bills, is just there so God can bless you in your daily work. But if you treat your primary activity, you get up in the morning and you say, Today I am a servant of God who happens to work at Starbucks. I am a servant of God who happens to work at a grocery store and your main identity comes as a servant of God. So how do you do this? Some sort of application. If you go back to the late 80s, early 90s, the whole time management movement was beginning to take form in America. And two people who were foundational to this were Stephen Covey and Hiram Smith. Stephen Covey and Hiram Smith, who have both passed away, were Mormons, but they thought they were Christians. And so they wrote (laughs) some very solid things that I think we can take. Stephen Covey said, you have a compass in your life. You have a true north. You have something that you're always going to. Your north star and you're going across the Atlantic, you, you keep an eye on the North Star. He says, "There's always something that you're going to up ahead, your true North on your compass of your life." For him, he said, phrase, "Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness." That was his true north. And so everything he did, he got up in the morning, and somebody said, come drinking with us, or whatever people offered him, he could say, no, I won't do that. It will violate my true north. It isn't seeking God as kingdom and His righteousness first. And so he built a, a major company that's still around that taught people how to pick your true north, how to pick what's the most important to you. And you can pick anything he said, but seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is pretty good. You could pick that, and that gives you an answer to every question you ask yourself. What am I going to do next? What am I going to do this afternoon? What am I going to do this weekend? And I can ask myself, is what this is, Fulfill the question, am I seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Hiram Smith was much bigger. He said you need governing values in your life. You need to pick the 10 or 12 most important things that are in your life. And everything you do, you don't against your values. Your values govern your actions. And so if you have a value inerrant word of God, that is a value. You write that down. It is a governing value. Then everything you do today, tomorrow, next week, all the plans you make, you can actually compare it to that and say, does this support the idea that God's word is inerrant and valuable and sharper than any two-edged sword and whatever else you want to say about the Bible? If the Bible is hyper-valuable to me, that everything I do will at least somehow bring me closer to it. And so in doing this, you can have a thousand things are offered to you every day. Some say a million things are offered to you every day, from the TV to Netflix to your phone to phone calls, to radio, to podcasts, to whatever, there's, everybody wants your attention. And you can build a mindset of you working for God primarily, and in doing that, I think it's easier to choose what you do and say, well, if I truly work for God, I wouldn't do that. Or I would do this instead. And it's a way for us to make choices and to get a direction where at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the year, you can actually look back and say, yeah, I actually have moved down the road of sanctification, of walking closer to God. I walk closer to God today than I did a year ago because of the choices I made, because of the things that I do, because I wake up in the morning, and first and foremost, I work for God. And in working for God, I can be a better this, I can be a better that, I can make better choices, I can do better things. Every follower of Christ must spend time with Him, every day one way that I do it is that these things these little phones every fo- every phone every phone even your little flip phones have alarms okay you can set every phone at 11 o'clock in the morning or whatever pick a time and your alarm says pray and every morning at 11 o'clock, that thing goes off, and is your response, oh, i got to pray. Or if your response is, man, I'd rather watch TV. So these are choices that you can make, and you can put reminders, and you can put alarms, and you can put things into your technology to remind you to be a better servant of our Lord. We need to spend time with God every day because of all that He has done for us. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we do praise Your name. We praise Your name for this day. We praise Your name for all the great things You have done for us. And I pray that we would make it a priority. We would prioritize our life to put you first. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing and ask your blessing upon the remainder of this day. I pray that you would be with Janelle and I as we go on vacation and that you would give us a safe flight and safe driving. We ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen.